right. The, uh, the the thing, the topic, du, topic du jour is uh, the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is coming out on June thirtieth of this month, and the uh, claim, which is uh, sounds reasonable, uh, by uh, the critical drinker, is that uh, it's uh, it's a video that's up now, which is that it can't possibly uh, um, work for them financially because of the cost of the film. Which, according to uh, Wikipedia, is two hundred ninety-five million, and according to Critical Drinker, it's three hundred. It's splitting hairs, but basically, because you have to not just figure the cost of the movie that it costs to get made, but the marketing, of course, which God knows what that's going to be, probably in the vicinity of hundred or hundred and fifty. So that's, and then there is um, <clears throat> other. The financial factors that we don't need to explain, but basically it's going to have to uh, do Avatar level, uh, Avatar 2 level business, which is like $2 billion or something like that to uh, to realize a profit. I, I guess, you know, I, for, for many, many years, um, I've, um, you know, written articles about how this movie is not going to win. It's going to be a, you know, it's not going to work for the distributor or rather the the original financial entity. However, it is fair to say that I don't really give a shit whether they're going to make money on it. All we care about really is do we do we have a, a reasonably good time with it? Is, is it a movie that makes you feel burned or does it make you feel pretty pretty well taken care of, at least in terms of the craft and the energy that goes into the narrative? Is it a, uh, you know, is it is it a decent ride? The answer to that is, yeah, it is. It's decent. You know, it's certainly not something that reinvents the wheel, and it's not <clears throat> as exciting or as mind-blowing. I remember, and I know that you remember, what Raiders of the Lost Ark felt when it came out in, I think it was June of 81, that would make it... Uh, 42 years ago. That movie, by the way, uh, cost $20, $20 million in 1981 dollars, and it made just shy of $400 million, which back then was astronomical, phenomenal. And um, that's quite the, uh, quite the achievement. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way that this movie could possibly even break even, is what they're saying. You know? Well, but, uh, um, I, uh, as we, you know, we talked about last time, the um, the, you know, they've sold out their audience, right? They, they've lost their audience. The bottom has dropped out. The bottom has dropped out. The empire is collapsing. And I don't know what messages they need. I think that Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible, Rescue the Summer, meaning that people are going to turn out to see Mission Impossible because Mission Impossible does what movies of the summer used to do, serve the audience, Right. Hollywood stopped yeah. doing that. They stopped doing it because their status as good Puritans to make the world a better place took priority mm-hmm. over serving their audience. Like we talked about before, it's like all of a sudden if they decided that McDonald's was going to be mostly vegan and every so often they might offer a hamburger now and again. <laughs> and everybody's going to rush to buy the hamburger. <laughs> But yeah. no, you know, the business is going to, the bottom is going to drop out. And so the problem but, with Indiana it, Jones. Let's stick to topic here, though. Yeah, I'm the getting back to that. The reason, the reason that Indiana Jones is going to bomb, which it might not, you know, is that they've woked it. 
right? And and they didn't woke it in terms of cement. It, wait a minute. Can I, can I stop here? It's not fair to say that it's been woke. It's got a line or two in which um, – in which um, the the, the um, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's been uh, rebooted. Uh, Walter Wallenbridge. Yeah, it's uh, a- her character says to him that he's a uh, uh, you know he stole from old culture, so he's mm-hmm. kind of a a plunderer. Yeah, it's, it's a big fat bummer, bro. <laughs> it's not just that. You have it's- to listen to me. I've seen the movie, Sasha, and, and you I have haven't. not. I know it's a line in the trailer, and it's definitely there. And it's like, oh god, here we go with you know. Well, complaints about Indiana Jones being a a, a theft of, of ancient culture, yeah. you know, of, of, of thieves. But it doesn't really harp on that. It's just I know, a but line they, they put a, it in a, there. It's a fucking. I'm sorry. Excuse my language. It's a virtue signal, Jeff. A virtue signal to to get the the banshees off their back, right? And and that's why they do it. Yeah. And that's why they wrecked the brand. And so, and the reason for that is simply this ongoing decade long decade-long condemnation of men, of their target demographic. They were criticized. I did a lot of it myself. You know, all we did was talk Mm -hmm. about the target demographic, 13-year-old boys, nonstop scolding to Hollywood. So Hollywood decided to do something about it so they wouldn't be accused of ruining the world. And Mm -hmm. now we've got Indiana Jones that's been adapted to, you know, modern sensibilities, meaning now it has to have a female presence. Um, and that isn't going to well, work. Right. That, that is part of it. And they are, at the end of the film, it clearly indicated that Phoebe Waller-Bridge's yeah, it's uh, super, character is going to be the and, and And what people don't understand about that, that, that little yeah. tiny sick feeling you get in your stomach when you think about it, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like, in your gut, something feels... Something tugs at you when you think about that. And what that feeling uh-huh. is that the thing that this movie was going to offer you is no longer on offer, meaning to them, to young boys, that was their escape, right? That was their escape from reality, their chance to enjoy two hours in the movies. And it was fun. And they had a whole culture around it. And all of that's been ripped away. So, They've destroyed their own brand, Hollywood has, and they've destroyed their own audience, right? You understand that? Now, people might think that's a good thing. Maybe they think they're making the world a better place, etc. But the bottom line is simply the hard reality of guys like Critical Drinker, who was pretty open-minded. Like, he liked everything everywhere all at once. Um, He's not a totally, he's not just your typical fanboy type. And the fanboy types actually really love movies, too. They're not all that way, like somebody like Devin or whatever, like back in the day before he became like uh, a swami. <laughs> he was a, he was a uh, he was one of the fanboy types, you know, him and Drew. And, and yeah. all they did was like love movies. And so but because they got scolded for so long and because the woke ideology is about the reversed hierarchy of most victimized on top, they've overhauled their entire industry and and I was just getting mad on the Twitter today because after they announced that Angela Bassett was going to get the honorary Oscar along with Mel Brooks, right away, film Twitter, um, Zoe uh, Bryant, her tweet was, it's a shame that artists like um, Samuel L. Jackson and Angela Bassett can't win Oscars. They have to settle for honorary Oscars. And I just thought like, 
Isn't that a little unfair after what the Oscars have become, how they've turned themselves inside out for the woke, the the inclusivity mandate? They've completely destroyed their brand. They're barely hanging on to try to make amends for their for their past by by, you know, giving Angela Bassett an honorary Oscar, which frankly means more now than whatever it is that they're voting for at the Oscars these days. It's certainly not the best anymore. That's not what they vote for. So why not give her an honorary Oscar? And why why can't that mean more? And why can't it be a nice moment for her instead of having it snatched away because it's not, you know, she didn't win it? I'm not saying because first of all i didn't hear about Angela oh it, it just dropped been... yeah it dropped this morning the they just announced the honor you clarify these things for me because i'm not studying each I, i'm sorry i know break. i and the only reason i didn't send it to you is because it, it's everywhere it's on every trade so i didn't send it because okay. i thought it would be overkill but it also isn't big okay. news you know what i mean like it's nice that Mel Brooks is getting one. It's nice that Angela Bassett is getting one. Um, but I was just, I was so annoyed by that, that I actually wrote. Mel Brooks and Bassett, help, help me out here. Don't All right. talk over me. Sorry. Tell me, uh, are those two or what? I'll send it to you right now so you can see what I'm talking about. I'm asking you verbally. Is it Aunt Mel Brooks and Angela Bassett are the primary? Well, there's one more who's, who are... who's an editor whose name I can't think of off the top of my head. Carol Littleton. Carol okay. Littleton is the third, and then a woman named uh, Michelle Satter is getting the Jean Hersholt Humanitarian Award uh, from the Sundance okay. from the Sundance Institute. So it's two women, one white guy, and Angela Bassett, <laughs> and that's still okay. not good enough for film Twitter. It's still uh-huh. not good enough. And and you know how many people have not won Oscars? Like how many major directors never won them? Actors like Michelle Pfeiffer's never won an Oscar, you know. It it's not like everybody who deserves one gets one, you know. And I I spent 10 years writing about this exact thing. I was I was Zoe 10 years ago. I was her. I was saying exactly that. And I was complaining. Mm-hmm. And now look at where we ended up. And that's my fault. Now, it, just to be uh, accommodating to my slow mentality, I understand that Angela Bassett, Mel Brooks, and, and Satter, uh, but what is her argument with the uh, uh, Angela Bassett thing again? What, I'll she's read it saying to you. that she should bear it and not on an honorary basis. I'll read you her tweet. What, I'm not a, I'll read you her tweet, and um, I have that means I have to brave okay. the waters of of tw- t- Twitter, which I don't like to do very often because people are so terrible on okay. here. Um, right. Uh, see, oh, people did favor my tweet. That's nice. Um, okay. That's good. I mean, it's it's just it's just not. Uh, um, okay, here we go. She writes. Uh, I think it really shows how broke. <laughs> this is so nuts. I just want to like, sometimes I just want to take a pistol and shoot myself. I swear to God. <laughs> it, it, she says, Zoe Rose Bryant. Um, let's see. She goes, I think it really shows how broken award season is when talent of color, Samuel L. Jackson, Angela Bassett can't win. Where did, where did that come from? Again, I'm not understanding what's going on. Where did he come from? Samuel L. Jackson got the honorary Oscar last year with Elaine May. 
So okay. he got it last year and Angela Bassett's getting. So she writes, she writes, um, I think it really shows how broken award season is when talent of color, right? No, no word for Elaine May, who never won an Oscar either. Samuel L. Jackson, right. Angela Bassett can't win or even be nominated for Oscars for any of their iconic acclaimed performances and instead are only finally awarded through honorary means. I wrote, when someone and and uh, people, uh, the fact that I even got sixteen likes is a miracle because I'm basically persona non grata on Twitter. <laughs> they hate me so much, but that's okay. Um, I wrote, mm-hmm. when someone gets an honorary Oscar as Angela Bassett is getting, it should be considered more valuable than one in a voting year, as we can see by how the Oscars have gone over the past many years. People can barely even remember who or what won. In the flurry of the moment, the winner is often Miss Right Now rather than Miss Right. To diminish the honorary Oscar, and I used to do it too, is self-serving at best. But it isn't right to do when the Academy is giving one out. It is a higher honor, I believe, than winning one in a given year, considering everything we now know about what the Oscars have become. So celebrate Angela Bassett's honorary Oscar. It means more. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) No. Consider um, Mel Brooks and his uh, really his whole uh, impact upon Hollywood boils down to um, three films, but really two films. Both of them, interestingly, were were released in seventy four. We're talking about Blazing Saddles, of course, and Young Frankenstein. Both were released in seventy four, the same year. The other big film that he made that everybody remembers and is quite fond of. Uh, is the producers, which was, I believe, in '68. '68. The first big film that he made that made an impact was called The Twelve Chairs, and then came the producers, and um, then then the two big ones that really had the impact were Blazing Saddles and um, uh, and uh, Young Frankenstein. But the interesting thing, of course, is that. He did with the Blazing Saddles. Uh, he made a lot of it was basically a lot of racial humor that would not even be begin to be tolerated. Oh my God! Today, not to mention the endless use of the N word in Blazing Saddles, which is made fun of <laughs> and, and lampooned. <laughs> the, remember the but, sheriff is a nit- bong. <laughs> remember yeah, that. Yeah. Remember the joke in the movie? The sheriff is a nit bong. Remember the the he would start to say it and then the the gong would go off. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That was that like was the big Gabby joke. Hayes, right? yeah. It's called the sheriff is near N E A R. Is what did he say? The sheriff, sheriff is near. <laughs> no, but damn it, it's the sheriff is a bong. <laughs> That's funny. Oh man, That's very funny. Very, very funny. Now, I'm just going to interrupt you briefly because I know you're interested in this, yeah. but um, for some, I think yeah. I think there's like Vladimir Putin's making announcements or something right now. Um, I'm seeing this. Yes, on- the, he's very, very angry about what happened with the Wagner uh, revolt, and he says that he was not um, uh, Wagner, or rather the the head of Wagner. Uh, his name is Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin. Uh, the founder of the Wagner, he said he, he was not seeking to oust Putin. And Putin, in his address, said that uh, civic solidarity has shown that any blackmail attempts to create internal unrest are doomed to failure. He's very, very upset that 
that there was a uh, apparent threat that uh, it was taken seriously by him because he, when when the uh, march towards Moscow was happening a couple days ago, he apparently flew to uh, Saint Petersburg as a way of you know presumably right. you know insulating him from this threat. But he's very very angry. I think he realizes that the impression that people have of his great and absolute formidable power has been violated by this um by this march towards moscow well and it, it the, obviously has the, i mean he's taken that that's a hit that's a big hit for someone like him yeah that's right you know that i mean yeah, that's absolutely. that's a that's a threat to his power for sure um yeah yeah so we'll that's see a lot of people are saying he's a he's a vulnerable person now so that's what this uh, saber rattling speeches about to, to assert his power in a verbal, uh, rhetorical way. I so, don't think he's able to with I, his. I mean, the thing about him is that the old Putin would have been. I mean, everybody'd be dead. I mean, this Putin is like he's yeah. he's frail and he's probably sick. He's probably got some sort of cancer or something. That's what everybody thinks. Yeah, and so he's not. Right. You know, this is what they do in nature. They take down the weak alpha male. Right. right? He's He's the apex predator, and he's weak, and someone's going to take him down. That's what primates do. That's what we're going to. Do. Somebody's going to take him down. We just don't know who it will be. But um, but this would be the moment um, for yeah, that. Yeah, they are very vulnerable. They just if you if there was anybody that decided to invade, like our if our military did or any other major military, it'd be easy mm-hmm. to take him down. So. Of course, we can't. We couldn't do it. But I think it's. Um... The, the 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 murder the pain the the horror the the mass murder that his invasion of uh, of Ukraine uh, since um, February of twenty two uh, it's been horrible and yeah. I and if he were to be removed or killed or uh, firing squatted or anything I would be fine with me because I think he's a monster well I I don't Absolutely. think so I I mean I agree with that but I think I think that this I think that this thing could have, as I've told you, and we've argued about, and there's no point in going through it, but this could have been stopped. There was an agreement that could have stopped it. All he wanted to do was make sure Ukraine did not join NATO. That was it. And and they couldn't make that deal. No, if, they, if they had not talked about the NATO agreement, it probably, who knows, but may not have happened. It may not have happened. It may not right. have happened. I think personally that, that our government, Biden, Obama, Hillary Clinton, want to do to him what they did to Saddam Hussein. I think they want him out as a world leader. I think they're threatened by him, as everybody is. Mm-hmm. And they feel that the world is a better place without him. And so I think they planned this whole thing. Not planned it, but we're okay with it going, you know, um, rather than give an inch in terms of stopping the war. It's very, the whole thing is very disturbing all, on a lot of levels, I think. But Anyway, the bottom line is what we agree on, what we both agree on, is that he's in a very weakened state, and it's probably not long yeah. now before there's another kind of thing like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Yeah. So, Incidentally, I just go ahead. Touch, touch one more time very quickly upon Indiana Jones okay. and the uh, dialogue. Which you have not seen, right? Have they offered any screenings to anybody in Los Angeles? No, Texas? but you know, I'm I'm sorry to have to say this, but everybody knows what a huge Spielberg fan I am and how much I love that movie. 
I don't feel excited to see it. I don't because I like that. Like I have to say, like the fact that they're trying to feminize it, what is a masculine brand? It, I think wrecks it a little bit, like it did with the Temple of Doom when they put Kate Capshaw in there. It's not been aggressively feminized. It has been feminized. You're correct, but it's not been aggressively so. Mainly, it's a it's a it's a professional attempt, and I do give James Mangold credit for this to simulate to make a Spielberg film without Steven Spielberg. Right. And yes, I should correct. I know it's not Spielberg who directed it. I'm just saying it's his brand. Yes, but what I'm saying is it's a good invitation of the Spielberg brand. And it, it is a, you know, I, I feel it's, it's better than, than uh, the um, Temple of the Crystal. I mean, the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the last, the last one, which was 08, um, that was uh, the low point in my view. And to me, so, because I can't stand Karen. Uh, so I even like the uh, Sean Connery one better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I realize that's in a minority opinion, but... Um, you don't like Karen Allen? Did you? She bothers the hell out of me. That screechy voice. <laughs> I can't stand to listen to her do that. And I, um, I, I don't believe that she would be some tough bar owner in Nepal or, or, or Tibet and drinking guys at the table. I don't believe that. Not, not for a second do I believe that. It's just a silly concept, a silly conceit. Well, as I, a young I, girl I, going to the blockbusters, I appreciated it. I liked it. I liked her. And I think that that was part of the success of that movie. But the difference between that and this, she was a love interest. That was the difference. And not only was she yeah. a love interest, Belloc mm-hmm. had the hots for her. And because Belloc had the hots for her, there was all this, in, that was a great scene with that beautiful dress and how she's, and he takes her prisoner or whatever, and she, he's treats her and re, Indy has to rescue her. Like that's such a great traditional, you know, exciting theme to have a, a, a hot guy like him, a hero rescue the damsel in distress, although she was tough and she was interesting, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge, that's not what she is. She's not a love interest. No, she's not. She's the niece. She's yeah, a, so why, that's uh, like, you know, that, it's extra. It's only there to, you know, it yeah. should have just been him. There's no reason to put her in there. None. I, I talk about this, but I, I will want to talk about this down the road. There is an ending element that is just mind-blowing. And they uh, really blow a, a, a chance to really end this series as far as Harrison Ford's character is concerned, which is, of course, the whole franchise is about Indiana Jones and vice versa. So they really have an amazing thing they could have done plot-wise with this character that they do not do. I mean, above and beyond the fact that there's one of the silliest and most ridiculous but most mind-blowing plot turns Ever in, in in a franchise, this has never been. I mean, it's just completely ridiculous, but it's amazing at the same time. And they have a chance to to do something with the Anna Jones, Indiana Jones character that they fail to do. And I, I just, I was just like, my head was spinning as I left the screening in Cannes when I saw it. I almost want to see it again just to savor this crazy ass ending. Mm. But you'll in it. 
going to go see it or are you just going to blow it off? Oh, I'll wanna, see it. I don't know if, your, I'll, if I'll actually, unless I can get my friend to go with me in the movies. When does it open this weekend? No, uh, J- June 30th, which is a little bit of time, you know. Yeah. So you've got a little bit of it, but I imagine uh, the big screening that I'm looking forward to this week, of course, is Mission Impossible. That's tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. on 42nd Street, which I can't wait to see. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's exciting. That's, a big deal. Um, that's the only one I'm really that that movie is the only one I'm looking forward to. Well, besides Oppenheimer, obviously, um, looking forward yeah. to seeing on the big screen. Uh, I, I'll see. I would see Mission Impossible because you know when you see that Tom Cruise is going to deliver a hundred percent. It's like going to a Bruce yeah. Springsteen concert. You know, you're never going to get shortchanged. They're not going to spiral yeah. off into some. You know, so. Uh, do I think Indiana Jones, do I think that Critical Drinker is a little bit premature on his predictions? Maybe. But I think people should be very well. Well, I don't no chance that it can be a huge financial success for Disney. There's just no chance, given what it costs, given what it costs to sell it. It's a $500 million investment that they have to recoup oh, uh, at yeah. least to the chance of a million dollars. And, you know, not, maybe it will. But no, not but, a chance. It's going to be like the Flash. Because once the average person starts talking about it, it's, it's, it'll be okay. People are not going to be angry at it. It's, they're going to be saying what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. Once it gets out of the, of the picky, you know, crabby critics who don't think it's good enough, which, you know, it's... That's not... I'm not those aren't the main people that you have to worry about. I'm telling you, the bottom has dropped out. And the thing is, is that, you know, Pixar's Elemental... Elemental, whatever it's called, it actually is making more money overseas in places like uh, South Korea. And I think that's going to be the case with Indiana Jones. It's going to make its lion's share overseas because everybody in other countries recognizes that brand of Indiana Jones. They'll see it everywhere in every country. So it'll make money there. It just won't make money here. And, you know, I, okay. I tend to focus more on domestic box office. But if they're just looking at an international take, they might get $500 million. For international, yeah. they might just because it's a recognizable brand. It's not going to get anywhere near the billion dollars that Mission Impossible is going to make, but um, mm-hmm. right. w- without a doubt. But um, but you know, in yeah. terms of here, the reason that people didn't go see Elemental is because the brand is destroyed here in America. Mm-hmm. They've lost their mm-hmm. audience. They've lost their audience across the board. You'll never see yeah. people at Variety at Deadline. Um, even the ankler, you won't hear these guys talking about it because they're too afraid. Everybody's afraid. The 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 message they'll take away from this summer, um, and they won't be able to do it entirely because Tom Cruise will be successful. It's going to be the wrong message. Yeah. They're going to say, "Oh, superhero movies are dead, or franchise movies are dead because they're not." Yeah, but they're dead because they abandoned their audience. If that's the case, and they're happy that it's dead. So now they're going to have to rebuild another audience, another fan base. But I tell you this, it's not going to be my daughter's generation. The people that they're aiming for, girls in their 20s, they're not going to go to the movies. Why would they? Mm -hmm. They have a a, a phone in the palm of their hand where they can watch anything. They can be the content. TikTok entertains them 48 hours a month. So why would they spend their, my daughter, and they're all budgeting and they're, they're worried about money. They're not going to go spend 50 bucks on some Hollywood movie. You know, the people who would do that were the fanboys. 
like, was it Kyle Duchanan's piece in the New York Times uh, three years ago? Uh, your daughter's generation, even my, my son's generation, uh, just older, but basically they don't go to the movies. Oh. They just, they go to a, maybe, depending, you know, mm-hmm. but the habit is completely broken and that's not going to ever no, come back. No, for them, it's like it's going to an amusement park. Yeah. They go once in a while, right. they go for the rides, they go for fun. But it's yeah. not carving out their cultural identity the way it did in our generation. Yeah, right. Yeah. So. Well, I'm very much... Um, but Hollywood didn't have to make it so... Hollywood didn't have to make it so easy for them. You know, the thing you have to do yeah. if, you're a, if you're a blogger, if you're a writer, or if you're a filmmaker, if you're Hollywood... You always have to make content people can't ignore, you know, and the only way you do that is to pierce delusion and to be truthful and to be honest and to give people something they can't get anywhere else. Now, Hollywood basically right now is could be generated by AI and nobody would know the difference. So could 90 percent of everything we read in entertainment columns are all exactly the same. I go through the trades and I read them and there's no, because they have editors who are just so worried about the, about Twitter blowing up and making some big deal Mm -hmm. out of something that they don't give them a big story. That's why all these wokesters are in your comments section. They're desperate for something that feels real to them. Even if they don't agree with it, they know you're being truthful, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and that's the same with Hollywood that they can't keep delivering pablum to people. Uh, they have to start taking risks. They have to start, um, you know, making movies about cancel culture and stuff like that. They have to start talking about the elephant in the room uh, and, and, you know, damn the torpedoes, you know, sit there and be hated. Let, let the rain come down. Let them say everything that they have to say to you and then just say, OK, thanks for sharing and move on, you know. That's the only way to survive yep. this moment. If you're tiptoeing around it, um, then you're, you're just not going to get there. Hire the best people. Put masculine movies back in the theaters. People will go to see them. I, I know you're right. I know that they would, they would but, they're, but they're so caught in this mindset that they're not going to. It's going to take them a while to get there. I don't know how many different failures and different collapsing, you know, they're going to realize this doesn't work, that doesn't work. You know, people hate this, people hate that. I don't know what's going, what's going, how it's going to break off, but I think gradually, I, I think if you have any sense of survival, which is to say economic survival, I mean, uh, they're going to have to give up this religious fervor. They about, have to. About educating. That's the one thing huh? they should do if they want people to come back to the movies or to television or to award shows is that you can't just make a movie for an isolated cult in the middle of the desert. You know, it has to be universal. They have to be talking about stuff that everybody's experiencing, not just what like Twitter users think. You know, it has to be more expansive than that. People have to figure out how to live in the real world again so that they can write stories that exist in the real world. You know, there's so many to tell, Mm -hmm. but like uh, it's just so been in the grips of activism that there's no separating it like award shows. I know we sound we're just going over the same old stuff. So let's move over, move on yeah. to something else that's interesting. Do we? What did we talk about yesterday? That we forgot about. Uh, well, we talked about that, that little French film that no one's ever going to see, uh, called "The Night of the Twelfth, which is a 
fascinating cold case that basically delivers a, a third act, uh, not a denouement, but a, but a kind of a, it doesn't have a, it doesn't solve the case by finding the killer. It basically points to a brutally uh, ugly, truly ugly uh, atmosphere or vibe that exists among 20-something uh, men and women, straight women, uh, about how there is such a callous, a lack of, uh, of kindness, a lack of, um, of, of soul and, and, and real affection, you know, just kind of the, if you, if you're a young woman who's, uh, who has any interest in, in finding something real between yourself and a man, it seems like you're, 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 it's doomed. It can't go anywhere because there's such a callous disregard for, for, for genteel, uh, uh, you know, values in a, in a relationship. And what I said in my review, and of course I got pilloried for it, was that the movie, uh, like along, the, first of all, the detectives, it focuses on two detectives in Grenoble, uh, and they're basically uh, discovering that this young girl who was horribly uh, mutilated and, and murdered in Grenoble by some psycho who torched her, um, she had a string of relationships with bad boys, and uh, there's a um, uh, it's a it's, it's not a it's not a kind of dating choices was how one reader put it to me. It's a pathology. She's attracted for some strange reason to bad fellows, to to fellows who are not uh, particularly gentle or kind or or decent or, you know, just wholesome, you know. Uh, they're bad fellows with, with, with kind of, you know, rank uh, uh, psychologies that are, you know, you really wouldn't want to have this, your daughter bring a guy like this home, but that's the kind of the people that she was uh, attracted to. And it, inevitably, All right. the cops say, well, you know, she's got this thing for bad boys, this must have had something to do with what happened to her. God forbid, it's awful. But that seems to be the pattern. It is, it's inescapable. And yet, because I said that she's a, um, you know, she has a, this, this unfortunate uh, uh, hunger or liking for bad boys, that was almost certainly, uh, and, and someone said, you don't, don't know, what are you saying? That she, she, she killed herself? That she brought her own doom upon her? I said, not, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you do hang out with nothing but bad boys, sooner or later the the fleas are going to rub off, and you're going to have trouble yourself. You've got to, uh, you know, the line that I wrote was that sensible women make sensible choices as far as their romantic uh, attachments are concerned. You have to be at least have you have to be looking for decency from people. You don't want to be just have hot sex and nothing else because that that can lead to uh, at least open the um, door. Let's put it that way. The open door to problematic things happening. Well, God forbid. And, we also talked and, about and, um, drive away dykes, di- drive away dolls. Um, yeah. Uh, not called drive away dykes. And we were talking about the whole queer, <laughs> queer sto- subject. Um, yeah. Well, that was kind of answered. I basically said, uh, that I, I need some help here because um because uh, Ethan has described his wife of thirty-three years, yeah. uh, Trish, uh, as queer, and and, mm-hmm. and I said, well, can somebody please explain what queer means? Because again, I, uh, I it used to be that you know there would be gay people, and then there would be 
uh, you know, gay men, but but lesbian women, but but apparently queer doesn't really cover that, or it means it just means not straight, not not a Utah Mormon, more or less. Uh, it can apparently you can be a straight person, but be be queer in your attitudes about about uh, gender, and you, you know you can be kind of fluid about that. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's like it covers a lot of ground, uh, queer, and it doesn't really mean. What I thought it meant, which is I thought queer meant basically, you know, not straight. It means being gay, it means being same-sex interests in terms of romance and emotional whatever. So that's what I tried to figure out. I basically said that queer doesn't mean a lot because it covers almost everything except for straight, lace, straight. Yeah, that's that's people. really it. And you say queer, you can say, you know, queer means like just not straight. It just means you're, you could be anything in that. She could be, you know, open to threesomes, whatever, poly, you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. bi, whatever it is. It's, it's, you can say queer and it's, it's, it means not straight. That's what it means. Supposedly, that's what it used to mean anyway. But, um, the reason that yeah. I bring it up is because that movie, as we read from the script review that we found online, um, basically yeah. has, you know, two lesbians going across the country, one who is very extremely sexual. And and they, they get hired to deliver a car to Florida, and they only have a day to do it. And, of course, in the briefcase is something that the bad guys want. Like, it couldn't be more of a basic yeah. plot. It's really just a plot device yeah. to get these two people on screen. And one of them is, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it's Margaret Qualley, is the, is the promiscuous one who wants, to go to, who wants to go to every dive bar on the way to Florida and have as much sex as she can. And she's determined uh-huh. to drag the other one. What's her name? You had it last no, time. No, you're <laughs> you know it. What is it? I'm sorry. You got it last time, yeah. though. You did it. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I could look it up. I should just look it up. I'm being lazy. Um, the uh, Anyway, so so one's conservative and one isn't, apparently. Now, now, what do I know about that? Nothing. I don't know if conservative means Republican or it just means prim and proper. Um, I don't know. But we were also talking about the the sort of sensibility of the Coen brothers in general and like how Ethan was like the funny one that was like the raising Arizona one. Um, and, and Joel Coen well, was I, the more brooding I, one. Yeah. But you have to, it has to be acknowledged that that they, the Coen brothers were a certain quantity, a certain mindset. They were very sardonic, and they were certainly not kowtowing in any way, shape, or form to the to the uh, to the wokesters in uh, about around the time of Hail Caesar. And they clearly have kind of transitioned over. And Joel's most recent film, which was the Macbeth film with his wife and Denzel Washington. And that is clearly uh, uh, bought into, you know, let's let's uh, let's dissolve any notions of uh, of is um, you know doing a historical Macbeth. Let's make a basically an interesting black Macbeth, which is fun. Yeah. But so, he, he would have never done that before because he kind of he wanted to go along with the culture. Yeah. And so he did a Macbeth, which is 
Denzel's great. I love it. Well, they I can't. Didn't think they they can't that not. Bad. No, I mean, come on. Like they're they're not, they're not going along willingly. This is this is someone walking around with a clipboard. They have to be in compliance. Like it's so bizarre. Yeah, right. But but that's why people look at it and they go. You know, I'm just not right off the bat. I'm not buying this story because I can already yeah. see that it's stunt casted. I can already see that they're casting mm-hmm. people based on their skin color to be diverse and yep. inclusive, and they're not faithful to the story or the characters. So, and and here's right. why: the character Geraldine Viswanathan. So, and then uh, other people in the movie: Coleman D- Coleman Domingo, Matt Damon, Annie Gonzalez, Pedro Pascal. Beanie Feldstein. Yeah. They're, 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 nobody's seen it, and it's, and it's just uh, brief impressions. They're just delivering tone with the trailer, so nobody knows, you know. But they did say that the tone is very broad, and it's very kind of satirical, and and it's kind of raising Arizona-ish. So that uh, we have a pretty good idea what it's going to be like. And, yeah, well, uh, but well, they did also go there's going to be a trilogy. There's uh, a, a lesbian trilogy that they intend to make, and this is the first of the three. So, right. Well, um, yeah, and and I think that it probably, you know, in the past they said that they came up with it when it was Joel and Ethan, and it was going to be called yeah. Driveaway Dykes back in the year two thousand. So they've brought mm-hmm. it back at a time when they think that it'll be more interesting, more socially relevant. But I actually think the opposite is true. I think that they're entering territory that is going to, and, and we also talked about this because the girl, the wife, Trisha Cook, yeah. whatever her name is, she's yep. queer. Yep. <laughs> so they're already covered, right? They can't just say, oh, a white guy wrote this lesbo movie. Excuse my slur in the old but days. That's what... can't, if she's been married to Ethan for 33 years and they have two kids. I mean, yes, you can be uh, have have uh, uh, another life with with women that she's in love with and she cares about a lot. Okay, but that's not that queer. That's kind of mixed queer. Well, see, so the problem of... is this is the problem for 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 Hollywood. I don't know how Ethan Cohen's going to deal with this, but when you put a minority or a marginalized group in your movie, they they can't be. Yeah. You have to pull your punches on them. You can't do to them what you do to white people. They can't say the same things. They they don't have the complexity. They can't be, uh, you know, they all have to sort of be well portrayed because they're representing a community, right? So we'll see how he deals with that. But basically what, what the, pro, you know, so this is apparently going to have like a lot of sex in it. I'm guessing a lot of Margaret, Margaret, well, <laughs> Margaret. Let's be fair to Ethan. He didn't say there's a lot of sex. He said there's a little sex. It's peppered with sex. Okay. Doesn't have. It's not like. That's what he said. He, so, you know, but he, we're, he was quoting we're, we're talking. Fight. Okay. So here's here's crap, what you here's what you see eat. in movies now, right? This is what you see in movies. Now. Here's what you used to see <clears throat> back in the eighties and nineties. Two people getting into each other, kissing, groping each other's bodies. Then they like fuck, right? They he gets on top of her. That's what they used to do. Now, that's not how yeah. they do it, because everything has to be female-centered. So it's almost always they're together, the guy goes down on the girl. And that's all you see. You yeah. don't even get to see the other part, right? But anyway, that's what we're going to be seeing, a lot of lesbian sex. Not a lot of straight sex, I imagine. Probably none. I think entirely lesbian Hmm. What? I said my understanding is... You're talking and I'm talking at the same time. Yeah. My understanding is 
a entirely lesbian sex thing. There's no guys involved in sex scenes, in to my understanding. That you know, obviously we haven't seen it. But. Right. So it's going to yeah. be, you know, like, uh, mm. yeah. So that's that's what that movie's going to be. I think that you know, film Twitter's probably going to love it unless they get somehow offended by it. Uh, it's going to yeah. be tricky because if you're if you're a white person and you're writing about people from other cultures, you don't know their culture, right. so you're just inserting them into a white story, basically. And so I think that right mm-hmm. off the bat, you're going to have some sort of artificiality in that. They're going to try, they're going to do their best, but it's it's harder to write people you don't you you know that aren't part of your uh, culture. It's just hard to do that and yeah. do it authentically. Right. But, you know, maybe yeah. maybe it'll be funny. Maybe it'll be great. You know that they remember back when um, they got criticized after that Hail Caesar, people were saying, oh, the Coen Brothers movies are so white. They only write well, wait about... Wait they didn't criticize. That was Jen Yamato of the, of, of the, of the time. She was with, I believe, Slate. Or was it uh, Salon? I forget where she was. But she's now, she has been with the LA Times. But she was the one who made the big hoo-ha about Oscar, uh, about Coen Brothers so white and Hail Caesar so white. That wasn't a across-the-board thing. It was just her thing. Because they got angry at her and debated her there and said, she's full of shit to even say that. So let's be clear. It wasn't a big chorus of people saying that was a no. problem. It was Jen Camato who said that. Well, all right. But anyway... The thing about them is that they come from, like, Minnesota, I think it is. Fargo, Minnesota, isn't it? Or Fargo, North Dakota? Is it? Where is that? Are you talking about? No, it's Fargo. The Cohen brothers. They're they're from Fargo, Minnesota, yes. right? Dakota, Minnesota, the suburb of, um, of, of, I don't know, the Twin Cities or something. But that's where they came from. Yes, their, their history... Is basically laid out in a uh, a serious man. I mean, that's the the, the kind of uh, community that they came from. <laughs> they were Jews in a time yeah. when when people were very still very anti-Semitic. Um, Except they lived in a Jewish community. Remember, that was a community of nothing but Jews. And yeah. our film weren't I mean, only white. Again, you're talking and I'm talking. No, I wasn't talking, but there, your, your reception is going oh, out. Oh. Oh, God, here we That's go okay. again. That's okay. No, I can hear More you. Anyway, there's a white asshole who lives next to um, the, the lead character in A Serious Man, and that's the only white person you see. He's pretty much a Nazi. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's pretty ugly. So. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the thing the thing is, is that, you know, you, you're right. You're right what you know. And, and, you know, people can smell inauthentic writing in books they can smell it in movies and and you're great you're only going to be as great as you can be if you're if you're honest you know Mm -hmm. um so their town is today the where they were born is 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 83 percent white seven percent african-american uh Mm -hmm. 0.5 native american 3.8 asian so it has a, a relatively and so that was, um, that's now, and the, the, yeah, where they're from, yeah. which is St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But I imagine back when they were growing up, the, the demographics was probably more like 90% white, I would say. 
Um, back then, back is when they grew up as kids. Yeah. 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 So, you know, for them to, to try to then write other cultures and stuff is a stretch. And I don't think it's something that mm-hmm. you really necessarily need. You know, the so one thing that they taught us all those years in writing school was write what you know. From what I little I understand, uh, she's basically playing a type, not so much a character. She's playing a somber uh, person who's not uh, who's gay, but she's not very optimistic about her life. And she's very subdued and submerged emotionally. She's not um, what M- Margaret Qualley's character is, the outgoing, uh, highly sexualized, very hungry. She's always breaking up with her girlfriends. She's not uh, she's not exactly a centered person, but she's uh, she's hungry for the for the nectar, if you will. And uh, <clears throat> the the other woman, the subdued woman, is playing a type. She's playing someone who's not particularly. Um, she's she's very cautious about who she talks to, and she's kind of downhearted and kind of somber about you know about life in general. Hmm. So that's my limited. Of who she's playing. I don't think they're <clears throat> investing in a character that they knew from their childhood. They're just playing a person with a with a kind of doer attitude about life. Yeah, maybe. So, maybe. She's yeah. uh she is Indian. It says she's of Indian descent. Yeah. Um yeah. her yeah. parents, her dad works in nuclear medicine. It's pretty incredible. And her mother is from okay. Switzerland. Um Mm-hmm. Quite a quite a uh, uh, eclectic, well-rounded background she comes from. Um, yeah, she went to Hunter School mm-hmm. of Performing Arts in Newcastle, South Wales, Australia. So she's Australian. Mm-hmm. So you know she's an interesting cool. person. Like she's she's not like traditional Indian or anything like that. So you know she could probably mm-hmm. just just be this character. But I don't know if that's the kind of character he's writing for her. Like, I don't know anything about it because when we read that script review. It doesn't specify who she, it's just two women, right? It doesn't specify, you know, one is white and one is Indian, right? It doesn't specify. That. It's just a casting choice. Um, well, you can, well, I'm just going by the impressions that I got from the trailer, which is that we've got two different types, the, the pained and the neurotic and the outgoing and the, and, the, and the woman who's like intensely sexual and a woman who's less sexual. No, I know. I understand barely. that. But we live at a time yeah. when all oh. they do is talk about race and culture. We don't live yeah. in a color yeah. bro- colorblind world anymore, not in Hollywood. And so they, no, they, they, they want to yeah. just suddenly drop all that, you know, like we're not supposed to think about right. it anymore. Okay, really? Since when? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's my point is that, yes, in the old days... Yeah. Casting her just would have meant casting a type, but they're very specifically yeah. casting a person of color for that role. Yes. So, right. you know, you right. can't have it both ways. Mm. You know, if you're casting someone because of their skin color for that role, mm-hmm. then there has to be a cultural component to it. I think. Yeah. Anyway, hey, by so, the way, um, wait, wait, just one last the, thing uh, about that that we talked about last time that we didn't touch on. And I'm me saying to you that I didn't buy it, that women would be that sexually promiscuous and carnivorous because that's not how women behave. It's more how men behave. I understand that they're making it funny that it's in maybe back in 2000. It was funny, this idea of two lesbians on the run and one of them is trying to sleep with every guy. But from my experience, women that I know, lesbians, whoever, they don't behave that way. They're they're not designed really to have 
think of sex in that way because women are always pursued. They're not, they don't need to go out and pursue. They're, they're always hit on, especially a girl like Margaret Qualley. You know, men are on them all the time. So it's not they have they can pick they can pick and choose basically and and yes she's gay but I'm just saying like to me it doesn't something about that didn't quite ring ring true. Let's remember that Trish, who is you know a queer woman, she has co-written the script, so she presumably is bringing some of her understanding of queer culture as we speak right now. Well, and I don't know necessarily, but because they thought of it before she she got on board. So. Yeah, but they. I'm just saying in the present tense, no matter what the boys, uh, Joe and Ethan, came up with 20 years ago, she is a co-author of the screenplay of Drive Away Dolls. So presumably her experience, her understanding, her feeling for queer culture is part of it. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of get Back to that. Well, anyway, we, we, can, we can say we look forward to it. It'll be fun. You know. Yeah, yeah. So. Hey, can I ask one thing about the, uh, about the Academy Museum, which we've talked about quite a lot in the, in the past? Michael Sipley, who's um, very skeptical of world culture and Hollywood also, he did a little brief thing where he finally, after many, many months of not going there, he finally went to the Academy Museum. Oh. And he was skeptical of the whole, he said he doesn't recognize the Hollywood that is represented by the Academy Museum because he's been reporting about it and he's been, uh, he's also worked on the producing side of things. And he was kind of saying, I don't, you know, this is, this is fine, but I don't recognize the Hollywood that they're presenting here because it's, you know, it's, a, it's, as you know, it's a, the, the Academy Museum is about presenting the, um, Whoa. the, 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 pro- in the lives of the people who've been, you know, pushed or pushed over or, or, you know, not not given the opportunity. It's more of an, you know, equity thing. It's a, it's a, it's drugs. a, it's a, it's a salvage mission. It's yeah. a, it's a salvage our yeah. re, salvage our reputation, our history, and our legacy. And Annette Bening right. and all you, you know, rich Hollywood can just give us millions and millions of dollars. And they'll be really happy with having their reputation salvaged and virtue signaling. You know, that, that's, that's, how, that's why the Oscars are in the mess that they're in, is all that. It's not the people of color or whatever who are trying to break in and trying to have careers. It's the people at the top, mm-hmm. you know, that want to be absolved yeah. of their sins. So do you have any good quotes you can read from that? I, I, I'm, no, I don't have it in front of me, and I'm not going to take five minutes to find the piece, but it basically it was on deadline. It was yesterday, and I was just struck by he did not do a big uh, uh, essay about how he finds it inauthentic and that he doesn't like the idea of a Hollywood museum basically being an apology museum. We're sorry for what we didn't do to various uh, people of color and, and women and so on. And But the, the two things that I recall is one that he, that the commenters all put him down for being racist <gasps> and being, uh, you know, intolerant, uh, you know, typical woke stuff. But there, I do recall in, in reading about the, the Academy, I was kind of in, in, enthused that they finally announced, uh, maybe it was last year, that they would uh, include or, or present a special focus in their displays about the Jews who started this industry way back when, back in the, in the 19-teens, even before World War I, and uh, certainly built upon it in the 1920s and, and beyond. 
and it took it was amazing that people were saying, Where are the Jews? The Jews started this industry. Where where is their presence? And they and they well, guess what? We're going to do a thing about the Jews started the the industry. So that's that's interesting. So I don't know what happened to that, but I they they had announced they would have a definite uh, focus upon uh, upon the founders founders of this industry. Well, so let's let me hope that comes. Uh, let me just say this. Uh, sorry about my dog barking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Obviously, Michael C. Obviously, Michael Seepley isn't going to be re- listening to this podcast, so it's not really. But if I had a message uh-huh. to him, I would say. Damn the torpedoes, brother. Just get out there and write the uh-huh. truth and let them come at you. Let the rain come down. Let them say everything yeah. they want to say. And yes, everybody's going to see it. And yes, you're going to feel bad. And yes, your editor is going to talk to you and come talk to you. So what? Uh-huh. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Remember that Peter Bogosian video? All right, so here's yeah. what he wrote. Let me let me read it to you. Uh, this is the money money shot here. Uh, quote, as for the exhibits, not being a certified museum critic, I'm not qualified to say except to share one personal thought. The movie museum, which I'd been sidestepping since it opened to the public in 2021, left me feeling vaguely uneasy, as if it had somehow been designed to dismiss or downplay most of what I'd experienced in 40 years of covering and working in the film business. Much of the big stuff, other than Godfather, display a lovely tribute to John Singleton and Boys in the Hood, and a few other mainstream touches, was unfamiliar, and the people and pictures that I'd known and loved, written about for decades, were either missing or reduced to the museum equivalent of footnotes, like that great photo of a young Peter Bart in the Godfather gallery. You're irrelevant, shrugged, shrugged my fellow visitor, not to mince words. Irrelevant and not, I think, accidentally so. Being a digger by nature, on Wednesday afternoon, I dug out a couple of Academy Museum Foundation tax filings that were slightly outdated, but had only recently surfaced on the candid nonprofit monitoring service. No great surprises popped up except one. There was an intriguing shift in a required description of the film's mission of the film museum's mission between the successive filings for fiscal 2020 and 2021. In the first, dated March 10, 2022, the museum was simply dedicated to the arts and sciences of motion pictures. In straightforward, if somewhat clunky fashion, it would be devoted to the history of the motion picture industry, educational exhibits, and activities related to how motion pictures are made, displays of memorabilia, and other functions that will permit visitors to experience the making of movies. Fair enough. Yet two months later, on May 10th, 2022, and this was before Bill Kramer and Jacqueline Stewart took their current posts as chief, respectively, of the Academy and of the Museum, the mission statement noticeably shifted. In describing the museum for the fiscal 2021 filing, The foundation now said its job was to advance the understanding, celebration, and preservation of cinema through inclusive and accessible initiatives. The museum would work, it said, in active partnership with motion picture artists and specialists, scholars, staff, and diverse communities to contextualize Mm -hmm. and challenge dominant narratives around cinema, inspiring discourse, connection, joy, and discovery, end quote. (laughs) Yeah. 
That, my friend, is what happens when you flip open the big book and you go all the way to the W's and you look under the definition W-O-K-E. That's what it says. Yeah. (laughs) Right there. Yeah. You ever want people to know what does woke (laughs) mean? Right there. That's it. Yeah. Because let me tell you, let me just... Let me just bottom line it for you, okay? Let's just bottom line it for you. It's all bullshit. It's the emperor's new clothes. It's the richest people in the world, the whitest people in the world, at the very top of the ruling class. This is not a museum for the people. It's not a museum for film fans. It's not even a museum for people of color who could care less, most of them. It's the high art of virtue signaling. However, yeah. at least now they can be a non they can be much more in a political nonprofit and by doing this they get people like Annette Benning and Jamie Lee Curtis and all of them too. So, tell me something Jeff, given that, yeah. what chance does the, do the Oscars have of ever being what they were again? And they're always going to be that. It's completely over as far as what the Oscars used to be uh, reflecting some, you know, aspirations towards uh, actually capturing something about what the, our lives are like, about the culture, about something really reflecting, you know, life from the street, life from from people's hearts, that, that sort of thing that used to happen occasionally. That's out. That's completely out. But, um, well, you know, I don't want to be despondent. And I, uh, and no, I no. like to believe... Me, me either, but I will say this. As I said in the beginning... And I, I will admit that I'm a little fired up today because I got so mad about that tweet um, about Angela Bassett. I just, after all this, Jeff, t- to come at the Academy with you're not woke enough. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. like, how much worse is it going to get? That's an important story mm-hmm. by Michael Seepley. It's, it's actual investigative reporting that's worth talking about. And so I am sure. going to talk no, about it. The only right. thing that confused me, and let me just say this very quickly, I don't want to uh, in any way dispute, but the one thing that bothered me about the Michael Sipley thing is that he was quoting from a March of 22 statement that seemed kind of generic and just about, you know, respecting and, and, and telling the story of Hollywood, et cetera, in a generic way. But that's not what the Academy Museum has ever been like. The Academy Museum opened in, was it 21? Mm, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. I don't remember. It started in plus one. So the, it's always been an apology museum. It never was anything other than a, a woke museum, woke house, which is what I called it when it first opened. And uh, and then I went to, you know, I, I was there the whole time. So, you know, anyway, it's like, I, I don't understand why there was two, two separate things. It seems to me that it's always been ideological and guilty and an apology place from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, uh, like I say, it's, it's never really been acknowledging the, the actual history of, of, of this industry and what it was really like and what, what really happened. Um, so that's all I have to say about that. It's just the, it would be nice to see the, the, the Jews uh, display, the, the Jews um, uh, focus, which is supposedly coming sometime this year. I don't know. I don't know. I was reading the comments, and you're right that they're bad. They take him to task. Yeah. What are the, the same people from Hollywood elsewhere? Uh, Probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they sound just like will. this guy writes, uh, SMH, the white fragility in this piece is astounding. The museum is one arm of the Academy, which has undergone changes of this scope for some time. 
voted in the very mm-hmm. filmmakers you've covered. 40 years of the industry makes you likely at least 60. Step aside and make room for the new generation of storytellers, actors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to write, the bottom is dropping out of the industry. So what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I got to get going. But it's been lovely as usual. And I do I do think we had a better um, uh, recording today than we did yesterday. So the, the, the I, one I'm that got lost in the mail. <laughs> got lost in the yeah. mail, aren't they? All right. Um, yeah, and this is June 25th this came out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a story of Michael Siebel because I, I think that's worth um, okay. recording on. All right. Okay, have a good day. All right, you too. Take care. All right, bye.